right. Well, hey, good morning, every. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> how y'all doing? Uh, this is so. Thank you. That was very nice. I don't know why you're clapping for me, but whatever, right? You know, I've plant. Uh, I've been involved in planting churches, and in many ways. This is like, I feel like we're planting a church that's been around for 130 years, right? It's like every week, are there more people? Are there less people? Uh, it's just crazy. But we're glad that you guys are here. Uh, it's great. Thanks for you who are tuning in at home. Uh, we continue to know everybody's got a totally different comfort level. And so we're grateful that for those of you who, for whatever reason, just aren't feeling like you want to come back yet, that you're still joining us online. And we're grateful that for those who are in front of me with your amazing masks, uh, that you're here with us worshiping together. So wherever you are, it's great to have you and to be with you, whether uh, through, you know, online stuff or in person. It was really cool. I know a bunch of you came with, again, maybe a bunch here, a bunch there. Uh, on Thursday night, we had an ice cream truck. We had some music. We had amazing, our teens were serving free ice cream, and we had a bunch of people come, uh, and that was great. So if you came, it was great to see you. You know, as a leadership team, we've not seen some of you for five months, literally. Uh, <clears throat> and so to see some faces that for five months we haven't seen was really great and really encouraging. So uh, great to see you guys, man. It's pressing into this all together as a church family, and so that's cool. So we're excited what God has for us. We're going to press into that in a moment after I pray. And so I'll ask you to join me in prayer that God will do what he plans to do and has planned to do through his word today here with us. Father, um, I'm thankful for a church community, and I'm thankful that you don't design us to live alone. You design us uh, to be with others, uh, to get support from others, to encourage each, other's, each other. And so thank you for the way that you've allowed our church um, and us to just do that for one another these past months, and thank you for the way we're still doing that. Thank you for the unity that you've given to us, and we continue to pray for that. As we press into this, thank you that you never change, God. And so we continue to cling to that and we continue to remind ourselves of that as so much in the world is unknown and so much is changing. You're the God <clears throat> who never changes. And so we come to you, our unchanging God. We come to you, the triune God, for truth today, for reminders today. And so we know the Spirit will work, Father, to accomplish your purposes for the glory of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, uh, I'm a, little I'm a little schizophrenic about Facebook and social media and Twitter and Instagram, right? You know, sometimes I kind of, it like makes my blood pressure skyrocket and I have a stroke in my house when I get on some of those things. But other times, there's great benefits to it, great benefits to connecting and engaging with other people. And one benefit of social media for me is I am part, uh, I've never posted anything on it because I think somewhere in the Bible it does say something about you shouldn't post on social media, right? It's like the 12th commandment. I can't quite find it, but it's in some scroll buried somewhere in Israel, so I'm going to find it one day. But I'm part of a group, I'm part of a Facebook group. I've never posted to it, but I love reading the post, and the Facebook group that I am part of is called Pizzaholics. Pizza. Holics, and it's a group of Connecticut pizza lovers, and I tend to fancy myself a connoisseur of all foods, right? And so, man, the cool thing about this is it's different people visit different pizza places. The requirement is if you are going to make a post, it has to be all nice, happy things, and you have to post a picture of the pizza pie that you got. And so, man, I love checking it out, right? And on this kind of social media group, there's lots of conversations 
about like who has the best pizza, right? Different people will go to a place and think, I think this is the best pizza. Different people will have conversations about whether like all the pizza kind of tastes the same. Like, well, I went to New Haven and I tried the pizza and I think all the New Haven pizza tastes the same. There's conversations on this page about what makes one pizza different than another. On this Facebook page, Pizzaholics, there's conversations about is one pizza the best pizza, right? The only pizza that you should eat and enjoy and have the grease dripping down, right? There's conversations about, well, isn't it all just kind of the same? Like, eh, what makes one pizza place different than another pizza place, right? Does one place cook the bacon before? Does one place put the raw bacon on? All these are very important details, right? And those questions about which one's the best, the questions about are they all the same, questions about what is the difference between the two and does it really matter, those are questions that we ask about all sorts of things, and it's not just pizza that we ask about, because there's things that we ask those same questions about that are much more important than pizza. And many times when you think about questions of religion, when you think about questions of worldviews, when you think about questions of spirituality, the same exact type of conversations go on. The same exact type of issues are discussed when you talk about all the religious offerings and worldviews, the questions of, okay, is one of them the best, right? Is one of them the real one, the only one you should press into? There's questions of, well, aren't they kind of all the same? I mean, isn't religion, all worldviews, aren't they ultimately, when it boils down to the same, the questions that they, we talk about in issues of religion and spirituality are, well, okay, well, if they're not the same, then what makes it different? What makes one faith tradition, what makes no faith tradition different than other faith traditions? And maybe those are some questions when you think about, not pizza, but religion, that you've sometimes asked. Maybe you've clicked on today because you're just kind of trying to figure out what a Protestant church believes, and so you've jumped in. Maybe you've, in some point in your life, asked those questions about religion. Is one really true? Is one really the best? Aren't they all the same? What are the differences in them? Maybe you aren't asking those questions right now, but you know somebody who is. <clears throat> maybe you aren't asking those questions today. Maybe today you don't know somebody who is, but maybe someday somebody will ask you those questions. And today what we're going to do is just kind of walk through some very basic, simple answers to those questions. And so maybe for you today, even if you aren't asking those questions, maybe what God knows is that, man, in a month, in two months, in a year, somebody's going to ask you, like, yeah, I know you put the mask on and you go to church every Sunday, but what, what do you believe? What does a Protestant, evangelical, Christian church believe? And maybe today you're here not because you need to know this for you. Maybe you're here today because you need to know this to be able to pass it on to somebody else. But maybe you're here today or you're listening today because this is for you. Because you've been wrestling with it and there's all sorts of layers about what it seems Christians believe and it gets garbled sometimes, especially in political climates. And so it's a chance for us just to kind of strip away all the static and get back to the basics about what is a basic fundamental tenets of the Christian faith. The reason we're talking about that is because maybe there were a group of Christians thousands of years ago who was asking these questions. Maybe these are the very same things, and they were the same things, that people who were sitting at the first church of Ephesus on a Sunday morning a long time ago were asking, because 
We, we, we kicked off a series in Ephesians a few months ago. If you're checking us online or new for the first time here, what we do at Calvary, kind of I guess one of our hallmarks is, man, we, we open up a book of the Bible. We go through that kind of paragraph through paragraph. When we're done with that book, we open up another one and do the same thing. And a few months ago, we opened up the book of Ephesians. And the people in Ephesus, the Christians in Ephesus, were in a culture where there are all sorts of options about what to believe spiritually. There was this huge belief in this goddess, this Greek religion of Artemis. There were a belief that like none of it matters. And so maybe the Christians in Ephesus were asking the same questions that were asked or have asked. Is one true? What does it matter? Aren't they the same? And what is even a Christian belief system based on? So Paul, in this book, in this letter that he writes to them, today where we are is he's bringing them back to the basics of what they believe. He's kind of walking them down the road, and next week he's going to start telling them, like, okay, as a church, here's my vision for you as a church. Here's kind of the the plan. But before he gets there, he says, let's just make sure we get back to the foundation of what we have together. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and we're just going to kind of pull out some very basic, different basic truths about Christianity. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, and here's kind of where he starts. Here's where he grounds them. He's walking through this progression. progression, He says this. He's reminding them what they were, and he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And you were dead... In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Let's just kind of unpack some of those words, right? He's writing to these people. He's not like saying, hey, you were actually once physically dead. He's not talking about them being physically dead. He's not saying you were flatlined, right? What he's saying is spiritually, even though you were physically alive, he's reminding them and reminding us. He's saying one of the important things to get about Christian belief system is that at one point, you, we all were spiritually dead, spiritually dead, being out of a relationship with God, right? A relationship with God is what gives us life. That's what gives us meaning. That's what we were made for. And he said, at some point, we were out of that relationship. And there was a consequence for being out of that relationship, for being spiritually dead. He reminds them of that. He says here later on, we were nature children of wrath. He's reminding them at one point, someday, one way in your story, all of us were spiritually dead. All of us were outside of the type of relationship that God wanted with us. And because of that, there were consequences. The consequences was God having to punish sin, punish us. What got us to this position of being spiritually dead, right? If that's what this guy is saying, maybe you believe it, maybe you don't believe it, but at least what's his argument in saying what got us there? He says two things caused us to be spiritually dead, trespasses and sins, trespasses and sins, trespasses. He's not talking about like when you were growing up as a kid or maybe you're growing up now, did you ever have that house in your neighborhood down the block that you were convinced like some crazy person lived there and it was probably haunted and there might be bodies in the attic? Maybe this was just my delusional troubled childhood I had, right? Man, remember, and you try to sneak on the property to see, and there's always be these no trespassing signs. That's not the kind of trespass he's talking about, right? The word trespass here means to slip, to fall, to go in the wrong direction. Part of what caused us to be spiritually dead out of this relationship with God is we 
fell. <clears throat> we went in the wrong direction. The second word that he says is sin. Now, we don't like talking about the word sin in our culture, right? But man, it's fascinating what the original meaning of this word is. It, it means to miss the mark. It was used about archery, where you'd be aiming at something and you'd try to, and, and you'd have a target and you'd miss it. I know some of you watch it. There's this awesome show on uh, like Netflix and Amazon Prime, a reality show called Alone. Anybody here? Yes! Two people have watched Alone. It's sweeping the country like the coronavirus. Here's the premise of Alone. I've talked about it before. They drop you into the woods, and it's literally just you. You're in the middle of the Arctic. You're in the middle of nowhere, and they give you a little video camera to record yourself, and you can bring 10 things. This most recent episode that's on Netflix, uh, everybody brought a bow and arrow. And you don't have any food, you don't have any fire, you got to do it. So, I mean, all these people are like hunting to try to get their food. And like these guys are archers, right? They're like, man, bunny rabbit, poo, me. Man, you drop me out there in the middle of the wood, I, I would starve in a day, okay? Because man, if I had to try to hit the little bunny rabbit with a bow and arrow, I would miss. I know my daughter right now is listening and thinking, don't kill the bunny, daddy. Right, man, I would miss the target. I would miss it. And what Paul is talking about here is not trying to miss the target of the food that you're trying to get for dinner. What he's talking about is that God set a target out there. And all of us have kind of aimed towards it, but all of us have missed it. The target that God set out there for all of us is this. Ready? Be perfect. God says, you want to know what I want of you? Be perfect. Perfect. And all of us haven't hit that. Now, now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, hold on, Smith, like, I mean, but I'm like not a serial killer. I'm better than some people. And here's the deal. If we all got up here on stage, socially distanced, which would be a challenge, and if I said to you, in a minute, I'm going to let you take off your mask to give you the best chance to succeed, and I want us all to jump to the other side of this room, right? I want us to jump from here to the other side of the wall and touch the wall. We, we, we would get up here. We'd all socially distance. We'd make a line. You'd start stretching. You'd start inhaling, right? And then on the count of three, I'd say jump. You know what? All of us would get to different places that we jump. You would probably jump a little further than me. I think Brandon would jump furthest than us all, right? But, but here's the deal. Ain't none of us is going to hit the wall. We might get a little closer. We might get a little further than the person next to us. But none of us is going to hit it. And that's what it is with this. When we think about perfection, you might be a little nicer. I might be, well, I'm not. You might be a little nicer than somebody next to you. You might be a little further along than somebody behind you, but none of us have hit the target of perfection. And so because we miss the target, there's consequences. And then the question is, in the Christian faith, as we're all sitting in this room at different places, none of us hitting what we're supposed to, which is God's perfection, does God just leave us there? Does he just leave us? There. Well, he doesn't. Verses 4 and 5 are explaining and reminding these people what is the essence of their faith and this amazing word, but God. When you, when you see the word, but God, in your Bible, man, you, you get your, your iPad or your lecture, you highlight it, you circle it, because that usually means something really good is coming. And what Paul's reminding us of is spiritually dead, out of relationship with God, somewhere on the floor, but not hitting the target. But God, but God, what? 
But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Here's the first core thing about the Christian faith, that we were rescued from spiritual death. We were rescued from spiritual death. That is a rescue that God's made available to everybody. What was the cause of that rescue? What what was the catalyst for that rescue? Well, we read it in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. See, God's rescue that makes available to everybody was initiated, was prompted, was propelled because of his love. Because of his love. Here's the second kind of core truth about Christianity. We were rescued because of God's great love and by his mercy and Jesus' death. We Rescue is available because of God's great love. That's what caused God to work. And Paul's just continuing to remind these people of this. That's what caused God to work. That was the catalyst. But, but then there's another question that he unpacks and we have to ask is, okay, well, there's one more why. Right? God rescued us because he, he loved us. But, okay, yeah, but, but what was the purpose of that? What was the hope of that? What was the goal of that? Okay, why in love did God choose to rescue us? Verse 7 explains that. So that, right, telling us the purpose. This is like Bible study methods 101. We've seen a but God, and we've seen a so that. Here's what Paul's saying. Here's the purpose, right? We were dead. God loved us. He moved. Here's the purpose for the rescue, verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. In kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, the per- God's rescue was motivated by his love. And the purpose for his rescue was to show you and show me that God is kind. That God is kind. We were rescued to show how good and kind God is. Two things about this rescue. We missed the mark. We're laying there. God acted. God acted because he loves you and loves me and loves us, and God acted because he was kind. Love and kindness. Here's kind of some things to do with that, right? This idea of God being loving and God being kind. We should let those things shape our view of what God is. That's not the totality, right? The book is filled with what God's like, but when we think about who God is and what he's like, we've got to hold on to these ideas of God being loving and God being kind. Let those realities, those realities should be things that shape what I think about God. Many times what we think, many times what shapes what we think about God are many of the things we don't know about God. Right? Sometimes when we think about God, there's things we don't know, and so we allow what we don't know to define what we think he is. Or sometimes we just speculate. 
Well, I feel like God's this. I look at my circumstances, so I think this about God. When we speculate or we come to a view of God based on what we don't know, we get all sorts of problems. We need to let our view of God be what he tells us he is, and he tells us, man, I love you, and I am kind. Love and kindness defines the God who is bigger than us, who is sovereign over us, who is in control of everything. This morning, all of us, whether you're not a Christian, whether you've been a Christian, every single one of us is sitting here today with something on our mind. We, We all have things we're thinking about, and the level to which we're thinking about those things may differ. Maybe some of us, it's like we are so anxious. <clears throat> Maybe you, you're kind of hoping I tell another silly story about a loan and trying to shoot some animal with a stupid bow because you're like, I just need a distraction from something because you're sitting here and, and you drove in and there was this anxiety and stress about something. And man, if we had like a meter, you'd be stroking out in the red zone and there'd be steam coming out of the generator. And maybe you're not sitting here today like anxious and stressed, but maybe there, there, there's something that you're, you're still wrestling with. There's something going on. There's an unknown. There's something that you know you're going to have to face or walk into. And, and here's the question. All of us sit here today with something on our mind. All of us sit here with some degree of a weight upon us, whether it's a huge weight that we barely think we can breathe or whether it's a weight that we know one day we don't really want to have to carry. And the question is this, as you face that thing, what if you grabbed onto the handles of what God was like? What if as you faced that thing and you thought about that thing, you grabbed onto the handle that God loves you? And you grabbed onto the handle that God is kind. And as you thought about it and as you navigated, you just kept hanging on to the fact that the God who is in control of everything, the God who knows everything, the God who can do everything, is a God who is kind and a God who is loving as you look at that thing that's causing you stress. What if you looked at it through the lens that you have a loving, kind God who is walking with you through that moment? We all have tried to jump to hit the target, and we've all fallen short. And because of his love and because of his kindness, God rescued us so that we understand his love and understand. He makes that rescue available to everybody, right? He says, I don't want you to be spiritually dead. I don't want you to have to face punishment. I want you to be good with me because that's what you're made for, right? I want to like resuscitate you spiritually. That is what God is offering to do, right? Through what Jesus has done as a substitute. The question then becomes, okay, how do we benefit from those things? As that offer of help, as that offer of amazing things out there, how do we get it? How do we receive it? When you have a flat tire, a dead battery, and AAA shows up, right? And they're like, hey, do you want me to help you out on this thing, right? You know what we do? We say, yeah. Like, man, jump this battery because I got to go eat me some pizza to post it on Pizzaholics. Help me out here. What do we do to receive and to benefit and to make effective the help that God offers to us. Well, Paul, still making this amazing like, conversation, tells them that. He says, here's how you can take advantage of that. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through 
faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, we have folks in here who probably may not believe this in processing. We have definitely probably have folks online. Maybe some of you do believe this. Maybe you're Christians. And, and among Christians, a lot of folks, man, really into Scripture memory, which is great. One weakness of mine is I wish I did a better job memorizing Scripture. If you're a Christian and you've never memorized a Bible verse, this is a great verse for you to memorize. Right? Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, because this verse will so many times come up in conversations with other people about what Christians believe. Right, And what this tells you is this tells the way that we benefit, the way we receive what God's done, for it is by grace through faith. Through faith. And that's why it's important for us to have, because in conversations with friends, maybe and some of us even think this, we're going to think, okay, so wait, Jesus died as a substitute for me, punished for me, Right? So I can be in a great relationship with God. He forgives me. So the way that I get that, okay, you know what? I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments. Right? I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments, and, and then I'm going to be good. Right? <clears throat> well, no. I'm going to go to church. And if I go to church three out of four Sundays, then I can get what God is offering to me. Well, No, because those are works. Those are works. And this verse reminds us it is by grace through faith, not of works. And this is something we've got to tell ourselves because there are Christians who sit in evangelical churches like this for 80 years who when the rubber hits the road, it it, kind of slips out of their hands. There are Christians who will sit in churches or people who come to churches who will be at a funeral that you will attend. And they're going to walk up to you and they're going to say, man, I know that, I mean, I, I go to church. Like, I believe in Jesus. I know Jesus is really important, right? And, but, man, this person didn't believe in Jesus. But, man, they were so nice. Like, as they got older, they'd made some mistakes in their family, and they called their kids to try to make it right. When they were healthy, before the stroke, they served at the Bridgeport Rescue Mission. And they didn't really believe the whole Jesus thing, but, they're, but man, they were such a good person. Obviously, God's going to let them into heaven. Maybe that's something somebody's going to, and I'm not, the funeral's not necessary. The time, but some of us know the verse But when it comes to actually applying the verse, it slips through our hand. It's not about being nice that makes you benefit from what Jesus has done for you. It's not about works that make you benefit from what Jesus has done for you. And then sometimes we get a little off kilter because this, there's very few Christians who are going to say Jesus doesn't matter. Very few Christians are going to say, well, okay, to become a Christian, to be right with God, to be forgiven of my sins nobody's really going to throw Jesus out the window. Everybody's going to kind of say, Jesus is really important. But you know what we sometimes do, especially in churches just like this? We then add something on to Jesus. Right? When we're talking about how do we receive what God's done for us, what we sometimes do in churches just like this, we never get up and say, Jesus doesn't matter. What we say is this, if you want to become a Christian, we may not even say it, but we hint it. Then here's what Jesus is really important, but Jesus and. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to be forgiven, man, you got to have Jesus and you got to read your Bible. 
If you want to become a Christian, you've got to have Jesus and you've got to stop partying. If you want to become a Christian, you've got to have Jesus and stop sleeping with your girlfriend. If you want to become a Christian, you've got to have Jesus. And we add something on to Jesus. Is what makes you a Christian is the way we benefit from what God has done for us by Jesus plus something. No. Because that something is a work. And it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of works. And when we do that, when we say, when we hint, when our just, when we, the way we just, and kind of add stuff to Jesus that we say is necessary, we may not even say it's necessary, strongly suggested, right? When we strongly suggest we got to add something to Jesus to become a Christian, do you know what we're really saying? What we're really saying is this, that the death of the Son who was God for you, for me, wasn't good enough. What we're really saying is that it wasn't good enough. So I have to add something to what he's done. That's crazy. That's arrogant. And that's wrong. It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus nothing. And we receive Jesus. We benefit from Jesus. We effectuate that through faith. So to get what Jesus has done for us, it's faith alone. And this is really important, right? Does that then mean that doing good things aren't important? Right? Because that could be the argument. Well, Smith, you said I don't need to read my Bible. Does that mean that doing good things aren't important? No, right? Because look what Paul says next, verse 10. He talks about that we receive what Jesus has done. We become right with God through faith. And then says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should work in them. Good, this, good, if you don't listen to anything else I've said all morning, at home drink your coffee, here drink your metaphorical free coffee because you ain't got one. Sorry, you know how much money we're saving on not having free coffee? It is shocking. Anyway, here's this really important. Good works have no part in you being rescued and being forgiven by God. Good works have no part in you actually being rescued, being forgiven, being saved by God. But good works are how we are to live after we've been rescued. Good works don't rescue you. But after you've been rescued, by God's grace that you've effectuated through faith, then man, then we're called to do good works. I love what he says, right? He uses the word here. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Interestingly, he started the whole thing talking about how we used to walk in sin and walk in darkness. And now he's like, bro, you got to take another walk. You got to walk in these good works. And I love what he said, right? These are good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them for we are his workmanship. This is what that means, right? We were rescued to do good works. And there are good works particularly designed for you, for you to do. You 
have been put together. You've been wired. You've been created. You have been designed, custom-built. And out there, there are some custom-built good works just for you, created beforehand to do, and these two things are a perfect fit. We can get all sorts of custom-made stuff. If you're a golfer, oh, look at that amazing country club swing. Right, if you're a golfer, you could go to a yuppie golf store and you can get golf clubs custom-made. They'll like put you in some Star Trek thing and laser scan your whole body and out pops a golf club, right? If you're someone who likes to cook and you got a house, you can get a kitchen custom-designed for you, right? Man, there's golf clubs, there's custom-designed kitchens. The new Ford Bronco which was released for a video, which is going to be amazing. Not better than my old 20-year-old Toyota 4Runner, but still pretty daggum good, right? You can get that car custom-made for you. In our culture, we live in all sorts of things. You can get things that are custom-made just for you. And what Paul is saying is this, you know what? God has custom-made some good things for you to do, and he has worked you and created you and custom-designed you to do those things. Good works have no part in us being rescued. But after being rescued, good works are to define the way that we are to live. That can be a little overwhelming, and how do we think about what those good works are? And just a few things, if you're like, man, I want to know what I'm supposed to do. I want to know what that looks like. What good work? Here's a few things that you might ask. What energizes you? Like, what energizes you? What, what, as you think about your good works, what experiences do you have or what is in your story that's unique, whether good or bad. Many times the good works that we do are directly linked with, man, what's been in our story. And God redeems our story to have those good works happen, and sometimes there's not always good things in our story. Sometimes, do you know who the most effective people are to walk the road with people who are considering whether to get an abortion? or to keep the baby? Do you know sometimes the men and the women who are most effective in those conversations is people who are in their own story have an abortion and look back and wish they hadn't done that? Do you know the people who are many times most effective in doing the good works of helping people walk through their addictions? There are many times people in their story who had an addiction that God gave them victory over their addiction. What energizes you? What's part of your story, either good or bad, because part of what God custom designs good for us to do is often linked with what's been part of our story. What are our gifts? What are our passions? Another way to think about what good works is this. Man, what is wrong out there? What is wrong? In, what is a wrong that you look at and you think, man, I wish I could help make that right? What, what's a type of injustice that you see occurring that you think to yourself, Man, I wish I could help speak into that and give justice. And many times the wrongs that you wish you could make right is part of the very good work that God has designed you to do. So the question is, we don't do good works to be rescued, but after we're rescued, we walk in good works. And so the question is, man, are, are we doing good works? What good works could we do? Maybe for some of us, the question is, are we doing them? Um, maybe the question that some of us think about, okay, well, what could I do, right? Smith gave me four or five questions to think about. Which of those resonate? And then maybe for others of us this morning at 1021, 
The only reason you clicked on or the only reason you're here today is because you know exactly what it is that God wants you to do. You know exactly in this season, in this moment, the exact good work that he wants you to do, you just don't want to do it. And for weeks he's been prodding you and he's been pushing you and he's been compelling you to do it and maybe it's like bro or broette you need to call that family member and ask for forgiveness maybe it's you need to take that leap of faith I, maybe some of us god has us here this morning with your masks on to think about man what good work should we do maybe today is just the beginning of a conversation to think about what good work should you walk in and maybe god has you here today because he's trying to hit you over the head with a two by four and says you know what it is I want you to do. So jump. Take the step and go do it. This week, you and I have an amazing opportunity. This Sunday, you and I have an amazing opportunity to press into the good works that God wants us to do, not because those good works save us, but because we have been saved. Not because those good works rescue us, but because we have been rescued. Because we have a kind and loving God who's been good to us, and as people to whom he's been good, we have a chance to do good to other people to help them see the kindness and the goodness of God. So let's think about what those things could be. Let's pray about what those things could be. And if you know what that thing is, man, in the words of Nike, I hope they don't sue me, but just do it. Just do it. Next week, we're going to base off this foundation, and then Paul's going to say, man, I want to talk to you a little bit about the church. I want to talk to you, Paul's going to say to these people about unity. I want to talk to you a little bit about what it looks like for different people of different races and different cultures and different backgrounds and different ethnicities to be together as one body of Christ. And if it was ever a time to continue to have those conversations that we kicked off after George Floyd's murder, the time is now in our culture and God's word is still true. And so that's what we're going to be talking about next week. And I'd love for you to either click back online or check us out in the middle of the week or come back during the week to do that. So, man, that's next week. This has been this week. God's word is relevant, God's word is true, and God's word is for us. And so I hope that his spirit has taken some of his word and pressed it into your heart. We're going to sing a song together, and then you can keep your masks on and go find a place to eat your omelet outside this Sunday morning. But before we do that, let me pray and close. Father, uh, thank you for this truth. I pray and continue to pray for everybody in the room and everybody who's listening, Father, that you will surround us all with your peace and your encouragement and your wisdom and your guidance. Father, for those of us who have added something to you, help us to understand that you are enough and that you are sufficient. And Father, I pray with, that you will be with us this week as we press in to think about the good works that you may have us to do. And may we do all this for the glory of Jesus. Amen.